You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another news edition of the Ask a Drone You podcast. Joining me as always today, as you know him, the Flying Dutchman, once a DJ of drones, now, well, he brushes his shoulders off, and that's why he's called Drone XL. Hi, welcome to the show, my friend. Hey, good morning, Paul. How are you? Doing well, doing well, enjoying this uh, beautiful weather. How are you? Pretty good. New York is nice as well, sunny and warm, so... Uh... Good news on that front, at least. Nice. Well, it only took six months uh, for you to get that, son, but I'm glad that you have it. As I can see that you've been putting out a lot of reviews, and we have a lot of news to get to today, ladies and gentlemen. I think some really exciting stuff, though. Why is it exciting? Well, we've got everything from a brand new Enterprise drone to announce to you. And I would say that Haya and I had called this already months ago, which is quite cool. And I have to say, there's one particular piece of news about this new drone that may surprise all of you. In other news, it looks like drone delivery has been, well, the code has been cracked. And it's now offering an opportunity for a lot of other people. In addition, it seems like DJI might not have completely configured a battery issue with the Mavic Air 2. In addition, one drone pilot shows us just how empty New York looks at the moment. And, you know, no one really talked about it, but DJI did launch LiDAR in quarter one of 2020. And to better understand that, Hai is going to break it down for us. But it also looks like as we took one step forward in commenting on remote ID and slowing it down, it seems like the FAA has taken us 100 steps back as they announce suppliers to work with the network-based edition of remote ID. So were our comments a waste of time? In other news, it looks like Chicago is finally taking advantage of drones as they disinfect parks for kids. And we have a whole lot more to talk about in regards to this brand new drone. Haya, what came out this morning and uh, what's got people excited? Yeah, the uh, new Enterprise Edition or new Enterprise drone from DJI, the DJI Matrice 300 RTK was officially announced this morning. Now, like you mentioned, uh, we knew for months that this drone was coming. Uh, a lot of these specs had already been leaked multiple times. However, this morning it was actually officially announced after, by the way, DJI uh, accidentally uh, posted their promotion video uh, on YouTube last night, which was kind of interesting. But the drone is out, and it's uh, it's a monster drone. Pretty much any aspect that you can think of that matters for enterprise drones uh, has been improved. We are waiting for official pricing, but it's not what we thought it was going to be. We thought it was going to be significantly more expensive than the Matrice 200 and 210, and that doesn't seem to be the case. The drone is actually very competitively priced. Of course, it still depends on what kind of payload you combine with it, but it seems to be a very, very attractive package. Now, one of the issues with the previous version of the Matrix was battery connection, and especially in bad weather, that connection would sometimes fail, and that led to a couple of drones uh, coming down out of the air prematurely. I think that is going to be fixed with the DJI Matrice 300. They have a different uh, rating for weatherproofing and different battery system altogether. Flight time has been increased to 55 minutes and it should be a much better drone in that regard. It has uh, a ton more. I mean, it's almost too much to talk about in our new show because you could probably talk about this drone for the next 30 minutes. It has AI capabilities. It has six directional sensing and positioning system. It has its own uh, health management system. 55 minutes of flight time, encrypted uh, communication between the drone and the controller, IP45 weather resistance, Triple channel 1080p video transmission from the drone to the controller up to almost 10 miles. And also you can actually hand over the controls to a second pilot. So if you have somebody positioned somewhere else, you ex dramatically can expand the uh, operating range of your drone, for instance, in a search and rescue mission. Another benefit of this is that when you're training new drone pilots, you can actually fly the drone together and help somebody who is, uh, who is still learning the ropes. Three different payloads. The payload that was introduced uh, today was the Zenmuse H. You're shaking your head. What's going on? 
What a joke. <laughs> to help new pilots train, you're flying, you're going to end up flying an aircraft that's five figures, and you need you need someone to hold your hand. Here, little buddy, come well, on, fly the drone. Nah, we gotta we gotta help people overcome the emotional difficulties by building them up and giving them confidence, not by enabling their sensitivity. So I, I it's like this is not driving a car. You know, you gotta you gotta be okay with losing the aircraft. If you can't afford to lose the aircraft, you can't you shouldn't be flying the aircraft. It's just that simple. We had a story like that not too long ago, remember, off of North Carolina where the drone never made it back to shore? Yes, I do remember that. No, I agree. I mean, if you're going to learn how to fly drones, this is not the drone you start with. Um, it is a option that they offer. Um, exactly what scenario would be useful in with the students. Maybe uh, they need to explain that a little better. But you can fly the drone with two pilots. And this is one of the things that was pointed out. For I sure. think it's a fantastic uh, thing. I don't want to focus on the negative. I just thought it was funny that that was a, a talking point as far as the release of the M300 was their ability to train. I just think it's like, I think people need to take a uh, need to fly something smaller and then take a step up into that bird. Yeah. That's all. I think it's a phenomenal feature, though, when you think about the extended visual line of sight waivers that the FAA has been granting. This aircraft just makes it so much easier to have a bird that fits some of the standards that the FAA is looking for to fulfill that kind of BVLOS waiver. Uh, and we're actually working on a template for everybody, so I'm excited about that. You mentioned something. Because I saw all those leaks last night, too, and that was so exciting. I didn't get a screen recording of the video. I wanted to publish it last night, but I didn't get a screen recording of it. That being said, what I'm excited about, you know, you mentioned these AI features. So what do these AI features look like, ladies and gentlemen? Well, imagine if you are training a drone team, a drone program at your business, and let's say that you are... You're trying to build a system of flying uh, cell towers, right? And you know that the more cell towers you build in a cell phone or a data aggregator, when you fly these different towers, it's typically you're looking for the same thing. You're looking for the center point. You're doing an inventory on the antennas and you're checking guide wires and you're making sure the stability of the ladder. With the new M300, the pilot can essentially record the entire flight path, albeit if it was successful, and then mm. that flight path can then be essentially repeated over and over again. So it's kind of like adding all the features of Litchi into the M300, which is pretty cool. I would just warn everyone in the enterprise system, these features make this drone look to be more convenient for a dumber and less capable pilot, okay? Now... That is going to make the industry scale more easily. There are a lot of benefits to that, and I think this is great. Albeit, if we are not careful about how we teach the pilots to work with these features, they can cause more problems than they solve. I give the example of the cell phone tower, because if the cell phone tower is situated on top of a power pole, which that is all over Texas, all over uh, New Mexico, at least southern New Mexico, if we have that type of scenario, and let's say the KP index is really high that day, and it's overcast, and density altitude is very different, and you know this is a high KV line, and because the KP index is elevated that day, and it's a high KV line, let's say 100 KV line, the coronal ejection distance is greater, and thus you know, because you have this AI uh, waypoint system that remembered the last time the tower was flown and now it's flying that same path, but the person didn't do the proper calibrations that day and now the drone hits the power pole because it's inside of the coronal ejection distance or the uh, arc distance, excuse me. So honestly, I think these are some really cool features. We just have to be really careful about how people are trained on this particular aircraft, which gives me great excitement because we have a brand new program that we're actually about to launch. We pump the brakes on it because we want to perfect it as once we launch this program, Haya, we won't have any competition when it comes to flight schools. That'd be awesome. That'd be awesome for sure. Uh, and it's not just the flight path that you can actually uh, replicate. It's also the angle of the camera as well. So you can, uh, if it's a repetitive situation, you can actually fully automate that part. Going back to the payloads, the uh, H20 series, that's the new camera. Um, comes with two editions, one with a thermal camera or thermal sensor and one without. 
It has a 20 megapixels, uh, 23 times optical zoom uh, camera built in, as well as a 12 megapixel wide angle camera. So that comes standard, uh, including a uh, laser rangefinder. So that's quite a package right there. If you do need the thermal camera, they have the H22, and that has a 640 by 520 radiometric thermal camera as well. So DJI, uh, for this drone at least, has not continued their partnership with Fleur. They've built their own system uh, that you can get. Uh, another thing wait, that was wait, interesting wait, to say. Whoa, 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 whoa. 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 You can't just drop a bomb and then walk away from it, okay? All right, full stop there then. They're not <laughs> working with FLIR? Apparently not for this camera, no. That is That has huge implications. That's what we've been told, that FLIR is not part of the H20. Do you, I mean, think about this, Haya, right? You know, with the whole Chinese-American trade war going on, FLIR is the number one thermal camera manufacturer in the world. Yeah. This is, I feel like, not only is this just as big, if not bigger, when DJI gave two middle fingers to GoPro and said, hold my beer, here's my Phantom 3 Pro. You know what I mean? Which wasn't a good drone, but when they launched the Inspire 1, you were like, Oh my, you know? <laughs> so, uh, wow, that's a very big deal. Also, I want to take a quick second to talk about something. That laser rangefinder, that H20 payload, has got to be the coolest payload I've ever seen as a drone pilot. Now, if you remember at CES, we saw that payload in another booth. I'm not going to say the name of the booth, but it was there. Now, what I love that DJI did was the interface with this camera. So you have a laser rangefinder. Supposedly, this is a global shutter sensor with the EO camera, supposedly. And then you have the zoom camera as well. So with the laser finder, and then you have the EO, and then you have an EO zoom, and then you have the radiometric thermal. What I love is the integration of all these sensors together for the telemetry for the pilot. I love how you can literally see on screen the spatial awareness of what's going on around you. I want to know how uh, reliable that is um, because, mm -hmm. again, that rangefinder only shoots in one direction. It's not, it's not like omnidirectional, if you know what I'm saying. It's not full 360. So lots of questions here ton of information about the uh, M300 and uh, only very few people have so far have been able to to fly it and kind of wrap their head around all the capabilities of this drone. So I think it's going to take some time for everybody to digest and also to try it out in the field and see what's actually working and uh, what might perhaps not work so well. Okay, so one question I have. The underslung propellers, are they folding props? Yeah, I believe so. Then they probably fixed that issue with the floating zoom on the Z30. Because one of the biggest problems, and people don't know the science behind this stuff, that's why I find it so, so that's why it's humorous to me. But that makes me pedantic, so I guess I am the asshole. Um, anyway, uh, long story short is, there's so much that goes into this, right? Why is the Mavic 2 Pro so much more stable than the Phantom 4 Pro? It's the physics of the props, right? When you add that quiet uh, little, uh, what do you call it, winglet to the prop, Right, that yep. quiets everything down because it reduces the wake turbulence as the prop spins, right? But when you have a fixed prop, yep. you can get some problems when you overspin the prop, which is what we call, uh, what is it, rotating or uh, retreating blade stall, which is essentially when the, the back of the prop can't keep up with the front of the prop as it spins to make lift. So why is this an issue? Why am I talking about this? One of the big issues with the M210, the M200, was that it wasn't a stable enough drone to really fly the Z30 camera. You would have this zoom drift. I mean, literally, you'd be flying, and the zoom would be drifting like 30, 40, 50 degrees. Why? Because the props were not folding, and they didn't have winglets on them. Adding folding winglet props essentially the props vibrate in midair like this, adding a level of stability that's given the Mavic 2 Pro what you're used to seeing, which is a level of stability to take these unbelievable uh, low light exposure shots at night. It's a tripod in the sky. Why? The science of how the prop spins. Sorry to get on my science high horse. I'm no science no, professor. Uh, it's a good thing to point out, and it would make sense that they would implement such an improvement on the M300. I mean, if you look across the range of all the features of that drone, it's, it's a significant step up, I would say, from the M200 and M210. 
Uh, one other feature that you'll probably appreciate is that the batteries are hot swappable. So you can actually swap them out and keep flying. Love that for live streaming. Just have to say for like action sports and for like uh, large scale live streaming productions, which I'm not sure is really going to make a comeback in the next year. But if it does, you know, this would be a great drone for it. <laughs> Just saying, you know. Yeah, for sure. Dude, can you imagine uh, two H20s underneath this M300 at like a Red Bull race? Think about it, man. You can do like live. Gosh, I, I just want to try this myself because I think I could add a whole new level of skill over everyone else. But imagine two H20s at like a, a Red Bull live streaming event, like a Baja race, right? And you have the wide shot of the truck coming in and then literally you use you know, the other camera to be zoomed in all the way. And as you're slowly pulling out and then you just go to the other camera feed wide, it's like having a switcher in the sky. <laughs> like it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't, I haven't seen any photos with uh, multiple payloads attached to this drone. Apparently you can fit three different payloads, but the H20 is pretty large and boxy. So I don't know how much freedom of movement you would still have if you mount two of those. So it'd be interesting to see how they make that happen, actually. For sure, for sure. I really love this drone. I wonder what the commercial viability is for this drone in Europe, because doesn't re Europe require hexacopters, so they have another form of redundancy for their commercial ops? Not sure about that one. Might be. Don't know. I think some countries are that way. Yeah, and in that sense, this wouldn't cut it. That is correct. Maybe a new M600, who knows? Yes, for sure. But Haya, I'm sorry to interrupt you so much. I'm excited about this bird. No, that's okay. I mean, it's a it's a lengthy story. And I mean, we're just going over the highlights here because really there's, there's almost too much detail uh, to capture in one single news show. There have been a handful of really good videos on YouTube kind of explaining and showcasing the different aspects of the drone, like the charger, the batteries, uh, the payloads as well as the drone itself. So I would definitely recommend checking that out for people that are especially interested uh, in this drone. I haven't seen a lot of video yet of people flying the M300, but I'm sure that's going to come online uh, shortly as well. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like some of these product rollouts have really uh, gone in a way that we haven't seen before. And it seems like the United States PR team has disappeared from DJI. So we'll see what happens. It sure seems that way. I mean, uh, both with the DJI Mavic Air 2 and with this one, there's been so much information that was uh, leaking left and right and front and center. So a lot of specs were already out there. The events, of course, are not taking place because of the coronavirus. So everything is happening online, which is a little different as well. I think it yeah, lacks a little of the excitement that you would get with the other events. But yeah, it's the, it's a new way of, uh, of normal, at least for the time being, it seems. Yes, it sure yes, is a new sure. way of normal. And as DJI has launched uh, these new drones, and it's got kind of been a haphazard approach to these launches, well, the lack of information and lack of learning from a community together has caused some drone pilots to, well, have a big problem with their brand new Mavic Air 2. Haya, what do you have? Yeah, apparently with the uh, DJI Mavic Air 2, when you first get that drone, you have to fully charge the battery on the single charger from DJI <laughs> uh, in order to activate the battery. So if you bought the FlyMore package and you're trying to use the multi-charger, it's not going to work and you're going to have a battery that won't activate. It's kind of weird um, why DJI would not have checked this before shipping out these drones. Apparently, they're going to fix it going forward with a firmware update. And of course, uh, as you well pointed out uh, pre-show, if you read the manual, you would know this stuff and it wouldn't happen to you. I think the concern with drones at this price point is that you're getting more into the consumer market. And as we all know, consumers typically don't read their manuals and they might just uh, charge the battery and try to fly it. So hopefully DJI is going to be able to fix this shortly. But for now, if you get the new DJI Mavic Air 2, make sure that you fully charge the battery on the single charger before you go into uh, your normal way of flying and, uh, and charging your batteries. Very interesting, very, Haya, very Haya, interesting. Very, but uh, in uh, other uh, news, it, it looks like New York City is still rather shut down. And I have to say, Haya, in this last week, traffic in our neck of the woods in the southwest, I would say, has reached levels pre-coronavirus already, yet it seems like a lot of the stores and restaurants are still empty 
One drone pilot shows us just how empty the streets may be around New York City. Yeah, interesting story. If you remember not too long ago, we had uh, a guy flying a DJI Mavic Air 2 Enterprise with a loudspeaker mounted. He was actually flying along the, uh, one of the parks on the east, lower east side of Manhattan, warning people to socially distance. That guy got into hot water as being investigated because of all the different rules and regulations that apply to flying drones in New York. Uh, for one, it's a very, very busy airspace and there's a lot of restrictions in place there. But secondly, there's an old, uh, decade-old law in New York that was not written for drones, but it prevents you from landing and taking off with any aircraft within the limits of New York City. And it doesn't just include Manhattan, but also the five boroughs. That guy's being investigated. Meanwhile, this video that we're talking about right now is from Bloomberg, and they have a awesome drone video showing all kinds of parts of Manhattan, but it makes you wonder how the heck they got away with uh, making that video if they were to follow the rules. So I'm not quite sure what they've done, but just to give you an idea, I mean, in, their, in this drone video, they show pretty much all the famous landmarks. So they show you Grand Central Station, they show you Central Park, uh, the Brooklyn Bridge, the Bull at the, uh, what is it, Wall Street. The flat iron building, I mean, it's, it's pretty much all in there. And in one part of the video, they fly over Central Park, and they're pretty much at the same height as some of the highest and tallest skyscrapers in New York. So uh, if you go to Wikipedia, you can actually find out how tall these buildings are, and they're well over 400 feet. And the position, it's hard to know for sure, but from, from where they were flying the drone, I don't think they were flying over any kind of structure. So it's an awesome video. It's definitely worth watching. But uh, when I saw it, it, uh, it raised quite a few questions as to how Bloomberg was able to actually make this video without breaking any rules or did they get waivers in place and permits and, and whatever. So check it out and uh, let me know what you think. Yeah, I will. I yeah, I, I just I, took a couple of screenshots of the video. I I there's no way. There's no way that's legal. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Enjoy, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, Kirill will add lots of good shots of that video in the news show. But Haya, that brings us to one piece of news. I really want to make sure that we get to, as I'm kind of limited in how much time we have for this week's news show. And it seems like you know all of the work that we had done on Remote ID, creating the guides. We were the first company to come out and say, this is terrible, it is industry killing, and we could not have been more right. In fact, I'm grateful to the New York Times for allowing me the opportunity to say to the country, this is how bad this is. So thank mm -hmm. you to the New York Times. Um, well, I thought we had taken a few steps ahead, right? Communicating with the FAA, letting them know, hey, you're literally gonna murder an industry, People are not going to go along with this. We have heard grumblings and we have had polls and surveys, Haya. If Remote ID goes through as proposed, what is your action as a drone pilot? Are you a hobby or commercial? 97% said they would not comply. And so that's why we're like, okay, well, we need to raise our voices collectively. We need to make an intelligent argument to say, hey, this is a problem and uh, there are better ways to go about this. And I think there's a clear consensus that a broadcast-based remote ID would solve a problem and would not, you know, kill millions of drones that are owned by hundreds of thousands of drone pilots. And yet, it seems like we further advance remote ID as the FAA announces the new tech partners for remote ID. Haya, how are we not taking 100 steps back here? Yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one for sure. I mean, uh, there's a lot of things that are not quite right, uh, to put it mildly, with the uh, NPRM for remote ID for drones. Uh, we spoke about that in previous news shows. We've written tons of articles about it. It's too much to go into detail right here. But what happened in the meantime is that the FAA announced uh, different companies are going to advise the FAA on the requirements for uh, technical requirements for remote ID for drones. The FAA got over 53,000 comments, feedback from people that would be subject to remote ID, and those people were all expressing their concerns. And one of the things that we've heard from a lot of people is that uh, when you look at smaller commercial drone operators and recreational flyers, they are not really represented in any meaningful way when it comes to advising the FAA or providing any kind of guidance. And when you look at this list of eight tech companies that are going to advise the FAA, you go right back to that point. I'll name them for you. I mean, the first one is Airbus. The second one is AirMap. Then you get Amazon, Intel, OneSky, Skyward, 
T-Mobile and Wing Aviation. So pretty clear right off the bat. I mean, the fact that T-Mobile's in there indicates that they're still moving ahead with the uh, real-time, uh, always-on internet connection for drones, basically, for remote ID. Looking at the other companies, they're all massive corporations with deep pockets. I don't see any representation from anything that resembles a recreational pilot or a small commercial drone operator. So it might be that this was all procedural and it was already set in stone and that they weren't able to change this going forward. However, I think after getting so many comments from, from concerned drone pilots, this, this would have been a great opportunity for the FDA to kind of signal, hey, we're listening, we're changing our ways, we're considering your concerns as well and not just rely on working with all these large corporations. So, um, it's worrisome for sure, and it makes you wonder where remote ID is going to go in the future. Hi, I think one of two Hi, things will happen uh, here. I think it's very clear. Uh, number one, the FAA will listen. They will make amendments. They will change things that work for the industry, or they will not. They will continue to work with people who have zero practical experience. It's also arguable now at this point with these type of carriers, I'm just waiting for someone who has deep enough pockets to file a federal lawsuit against the FAA. And I know that people are waiting to do this until they make an actual policy announcement, right? Yeah. You can't sue someone on something that doesn't exist yet. But with this clear, arbitrary selection of people that represent very, very clear financial interests, at what point is it a Sherman Act violation? At what point is it a conspiracy for an industry? At what point does it fundamentally break the laws of the United States government? Like, I, I'm just, I'm yeah. wondering here. So, you know, I just said one of two things will happen, and I mentioned the first one. The second one, if the FAA does continue to go down this route, in order for a government agency like the FAA to have authority, they have to have the credibility from the people in which they oversee. And yeah. yet... Think so. The FAA's credibility is on the chopping block from general aviation, from commercial aviation, and from unmanned aviation. In fact, you could not make an easier argument than right now that it's a total cluster at the FAA right now. And everyone sees it. We're not stupid. And then when Elaine Chow makes comments like she did uh, a couple months ago, we were like, wow, you really do think we are stupid. Um, you know, how do you expect us to believe what you're saying when there's a license plate system that already exists? It's very simple, and it allows for privacy. It's because they don't care. They don't want our privacy. As a very famous industry person said to me yesterday on the phone, they're like, Paul, we've worked with our senators and congressmen, and they'll listen to you, and then they do whatever they want to because people are paying a lot more money than what you have, and they're going to do what they want. Well, guess what? That only works for so long. You have to have the complacency of the industry for that to continue to go on. And I've been speaking with someone in the upper echelon of the federal government about coming up with a alternate plan because they're so worried about complete and total noncompliance with remote ID. And the proof is in the pudding high. The surveys we've put out, the polls that we have put out, I mean, over 90% are saying, yeah, if they go along with this, we're saying, okay, we are ignoring everything you say. And then, you know, what type of safety concerns is that going to cause? And then you really question the FAA's ability to even regulate this stuff. And when there are grumblings inside of the FAA of, oh, man, we should have never have gone after Raphael Perker. Uh, you guys have a really serious problem. And you know what? There are some really good people in the FAA that are trying to help this industry out. And we greatly appreciate it because I think at the end of the day, we all want the same thing, right? An easy, convenient environment in which we can all fly that's safe for people flying Cessnas, that's safe for people flying helicopters, and that's not ridiculous so people can fly these things and provide a tool in a toolbox for hundreds of thousands of companies, if not millions. So you beg the question, at what point is common sense just going to kick in? And you know, Haya, I have, I, maybe this is wrong of me to say, but I actually have a lot of hope that we might get our way, right? Because the coronavirus has kind of slowed things down, at least we thought so, with remote ID. And you know, Mitch McConnell is getting the Senate back 
right? They're getting them back super fast, even though coronavirus cases are only accelerating. And with the average age of the Senate over 60, maybe this is the way they clear the swamp and we get younger people who understand technology in the Senate. I don't know. I can only hope. It will be helpful for sure. I'm uh, I'm glad you actually helped that uh, that sense in there because it reminded me that uh, one of the interesting things is that in that list of eight technology partners that have been selected by the FDA, there's not a single uh, consumer or even small commercial operator, drone manufacturer in there. I mean, uh, the obvious one, of course, would be, uh, hey, why is DJI not part of this? But then again, DJI is a Chinese company. They were not part of the UAV IPP program. They haven't been selected here either. You're not going to see Autel, but uh, a company like Skydio, probably would have been uh, an interesting partner to get on board for this panel as well. And we don't see anything of that either. So it makes you wonder. Skydio makes drones to allow people to film themselves riding bikes down mountains. They're not really made for public safety or for commercial purposes. I mean, even, you know, Fritz Reber put something out on LinkedIn apologizing to someone saying that. Sorry, I missed that first part. But what were you saying about Skydio not being part of this? Skydio is not a public safety drone. It's not a commercial drone. So I would say it's actually not surprising that Skydio is not even on there. So they don't make a seriously competitive drone. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I mean, they do make drones for for hobbyist drone pilots, uh, maybe even commercial drone pilots that would have to adhere to the same uh, remote ID rules. So what can we garnish from this, Haya? Are you trying to say that the FAA doesn't give two Fs what any drone manufacturers say? <laughs> I think for anybody reading between the lines, that's been a consistent message ever since they came out with the uh, proposed rules back in December last year, right after Christmas. Uh, I think there was a big F to all of us right there, to be honest. No, I mean, the only thing I can come up with was that this was already set in stone anyway, that these companies were already uh, selected some time ago. They just haven't changed it. This was just part of the communication that came out of the FDA. I just think that it would have been an opportunity for them to kind of signal, hey, we're listening. We know we got all these comments back from you guys, and we're taking it into consideration. Whereas sending out this list kind of reaffirms that um, maybe they're not listening at all, and that will be worrisome. I guess it goes to show, Haya, how important optics are. This is a missed one, that's for sure. Oh, God, that's an inside joke. No one will understand. Oh, it's such a good one, too. <laughs> anyway, it's a journalist joke, I guess. But moving on to our next piece of news. What do you think that this means for the industry, Haya? Is this, as Vic said, just a procedural move or is this an epic failure in messaging? Uh, because it looks like the FAA could have said, thank you, industry, for reaching out and trying to provide a feedback loop for the FAA to make the skies truly safe and accessible for everyone. But they did not say that. No, it's, I think it's a missed opportunity. Uh, I totally think so. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just hope that they'll wake up one day and that they will listen and consider uh, input from other people uh, and not just listen to uh, the deep pockets and corporate uh, entities out there. This bubble is going to burst somehow, and I'm starting to get nervous about it. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah, but uh, but like you pointed out, and, and we said this in previous shows, we've written it up in articles. I mean, if your rules are so outrageous that nobody's going to comply, then your rules have near zero effect, basically. So you're not going to achieve what they have in mind. And I think if they want something that works really well, then they have to come up with a solution that's practical, that you can actually implement, that is reasonable, and that has a low threshold for people to get into. So it shouldn't be too complicated. It shouldn't be too expensive. It should be easy to implement and, and hopefully even implement in existing drones and not just the new ones going forward. But, I mean, here you go. I mean, you, you, we've spent so much time talking about the uh, NPRM for remote ID. We've written so much about it. I mean, there's a lot more to it and there's a lot more to, to discuss, more than we could ever um, manage in one show, I think. But, uh, yeah, hopefully the FDA is going to improve that going forward and come up with something that's more realistic than what they have uh, proposed thus far. Yes. Um, yes. Um, I just will say, did you read some of the comments on the FAA's Facebook page when they announced this? I've seen a few of them. Yeah. Which ones are you uh, thinking of? Oh, there's a couple where uh, one of them was an older guy who's like, who, ah. I mean, I, I'm, I, I, can't, I can't 
quote exactly what he said because I don't have it in front of me. But it was along the lines of, for 30 years, I've been flying my RC planes and helicopters at a field. FAA has never showed up. They never will show up. I'm going to do what I want. You can't tell me otherwise. And he didn't say it, but he was kind of saying GFY. You know what I mean? And he was not saying that he was grateful for them. So, so, uh, yeah, that's why I say I'm nervous because people are just now outright saying, you know what, is enough is enough. And I'm, uh, gosh, I hope that this is an opportunity, a warning light. It's that red woo, 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 light going off in the hallway at the FAA that says, like, guys, seriously, the blissful ignorance is going to cause an uproar unlike any uproar that has happened in aviation in a hundred years. And all of you are going to lose your jobs. Like, because people in government will be like, how could you have ever done this? And then the FAA people will look up and be like, we tried explaining this to you and you said no. And they're like, yeah, but we're in power. Goodbye. Like, <laughs> I, mean, I can already play it out in a, you know, a good drama. You know, I don't know. I mean, 53,000 comments. Uh, I think just that number itself uh, tells you a lot, right? I mean, typically, I mean, for instance, when, when we uh, promote Drone Excel or Drone U and you want people to, uh, to participate, it's always hard to get people to comment, right? You have to kind of trigger them and either get them really excited or, or give them something in reward. The FEA is not giving you anything, but meanwhile, 53,000 people took the time to write comments and not just simple comments. I mean, those were there as well, but some of them were lengthy, they were thoughtful, they were detailed, and they came from concerns, hobbyist pilots, uh, commercial drone pilots, uh, people flying RC models, people flying drones. So to get that kind of a reaction on proposed rules, um, that should be a big red flag right there. Then you know some, something's wrong, because if people would have thought, hey, this makes sense, and uh, we're behind this, we can support this, then you would have never seen something like this. So yeah, they got their work cut out for them, uh, the FAA does. I've heard rumors that some in Congress are discussing creating an unmanned version of the FAA because they're saying that the FAA is just way over leveraged and that they're not thinking things through and they're counting on too many outside uh, sources. And I, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. We already see that, right? So, so I've heard grumblings. One person who I respect greatly in this industry He said, you know, people have mentioned in Congress already, what if we had an unmanned FAA? And then we could just kind of like change things back the way they used to be and really give the floor that this industry needs uh, so that people can invest in the technology and build it in their company and thus give drone pilots jobs. Yeah, I, I think it would make a lot of sense. I mean, granted, we share the same airspace, so there's definitely a point where, where the two organizations would meet. But I think uh, the background uh, is very different. The technology is, is different for sure. People flying drones are different. They don't come with that same aviation background necessarily. I mean, they should, of course, know a lot of uh, what, what is involved in flying drones. But you're dealing with uh, different aircraft and I think a different audience as well. And so far, if you look at the, uh, I mean, this list from the FEA is a, is a great example. There is no representation of all the recreational hobbyists and small commercial drone pilots at all. And I think that's where they go horribly wrong. Because if you look at most of the people flying drones, it's exactly those guys. So you're making rules for them to follow, for them to support and understand, but you're not including them in the conversation. You're not including them in the rulemaking process. I think it's a big mistake. And if they were to come up with a uh, unmanned FAA version, uh, a different agency that caters to this uh, specific audience, I think uh, things would probably be a lot better. And I think the rules that would come out would make a lot more sense. True. And I still think that the federal government can get what they want, which is, you know, seeing who's flying what so they know who's nefarious and not. And an expanded Lance system that operates in Class G airspace where someone goes in and they're like, I'm flying my drone right here in a half mile radius, right, where you're not constantly broadcasting information. It's not a breach of surveillance protocols. You know, someone said something to me the other day that really struck me, Haya, and it struck me for personal reasons. But now this particular saying strikes me for commercial reasons in the drone industry. And one of my very close family friends said to me, Paul, you're never going to make something better unless you seek to understand where the other person is coming from. Because if you do not seek to understand where they're coming from, then you're not trying to help the person whatsoever. And as I sit here, 
Yeah, as I sit here and think about what you just said, I'm like, the FAA is not seeking to understand us at all. It's like, oh. it's like, okay, well, you know what? We know what to do here, ladies and gentlemen. So I'm, I'm not saying that, you know. They're not open for feedback and advice. I mean, take the deck committee. I mean, who represents small drone operators or commercial operators and, and recreational pilots? Nobody. Well, I mean, you have Bill English who says some nice things. Um, the guy from CNN, I want to say his name is Brad. Everyone does, like, if the virus wasn't here, I'd give that guy a hug every day. I love listening to him talk in the DAC meetings. But you're right. There's two people in a room of 50. You yeah. Know? So. Yeah. And most of them have a, a traditional aviation background or they uh, are part of larger commercial uh, drone operators such as, uh, what is it, wing aviation, for instance. Maybe then, Haya, the responsibility is on you and I to tell a story that pokes holes in everything that is remote ID and show it rather than tell it to say, why would we do this when we have this? Why would we do this when we already have this? Why would we implement a license plate system that violates every provision of privacy we've ever believed in when we already have this? When yeah. you, you say there's a problem about Chinese drones and security, but now you're trying to connect all the Chinese drones to the Internet, do you realize what you're doing? <laughs> no, maybe it would be good to, to kind of take all those pain points and make examples out of them and show how you could do it differently. Because I, th I mean, that, that is one thing that we have heard from the FDA is that you're also looking for solutions and not just for critique. And I think that's a fair statement to make. I mean, if you say something's wrong, then I think you kind of owe it as well to say, OK, but there's a better way of doing it. And here's an example. The other part of it could also be is that the FEA honestly doesn't have a clue as to how to do this. And that's why they're asking for solutions. I mean, that will be even more worrisome, but um, I wouldn't put it past them, unfortunately. But yeah, I think it's a good idea. Maybe we should do that. Maybe we should look for all the pain points and make examples and say, hey, this is why it's wrong and this is why it's wrong. And here's how we can do it. And here's how you do not have to reinvent the wheel because there is a licensing uh, plate system in place that works just fine. So I'm with you on that one. Yeah, I think it's something we're going to need to talk about for our new show. But in our yeah. next and probably last piece of drone news, uh, it looks like, you know, DJI launched this LiDAR system that no one talked about except for us. Um, but it looks like uh, Indiana Drones. I kind of <laughs> like that name. Can I just... I like it too. <laughs> I mean, like, how can you not like that? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so uh, you shared this video with me, and I love this kid's personality. It's great. Uh, yeah. But what are you seeing from this story about the M600 Pro, the M210, and these two different LiDAR systems for drone mapping? It's, it's a cool video. I mean, his name, I think, is Gold, Indiana Drones. I never had thought of that one, but when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that's cool. Uh, he did a LiDAR competition. So he used a uh, DJI M600 and a Matrice 210. So two enterprise, two commercial drones with different LiDAR systems. And if you, uh, you might know that uh, LiFox is actually a uh, subsidiary of DJI developing a LiDAR system that you can not only use for drones, but you can use on uh, automobiles as well. In this case, they're using it on the Matrice 210 and they compare it with a much more expensive and more traditional LiDAR system on the more expensive drone as well, the M600. And basically he's putting it through a test, uh, flying the drone over a forest area, mountainous as well. Both drones use auto tracking, so they follow the terrain at a altitude of 90 meters, so it is at a little short of 300 feet. And they basically use LiDAR to map the entire area. And in this LiDAR competition, he compares the two systems on four criteria. One is, okay, if you take a unobstructed hard surface, let's say a, a road where there's no trees or anything, and you measure that, and how many measure points do you get per square meter? And he compares it there, and in this case, the LiVox system wins. Then the second one he does is, okay, so if you fly over vegetated area, so over the forest itself, and then you use LiDAR, and you penetrate through the vegetation, how accurate and how many points do you then get on the ground? Now, in that case, the more expensive system uh, wins Regal. And then the third one, he's looking at the overall accuracy of the system. And there, Regal wins as well. Lastly, he's looking at the overall operability as well as uh, how you fly these drones. And of course, if you use a M210 with the LiVox system, you're using a much smaller 
drone than if you uh, upgrade to an M600 with a much heavier payload. So the way they fly is different. The M600 is better to control and more balanced in the air, but you're also talking about a vastly more expensive uh, drone and also more expensive LiDAR system. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me is that um, the M600, I believe, had four flights needed uh, to cover the entire area with 24 batteries versus the M210 being able to fly the same area only in two passes and using four batteries. And if you know how expensive DJI batteries are, I mean, that's a key distinguisher right there as well. It's a fun video. I thought he did a great job in making this video and kind of making it more accessible and kind of fun to watch. Uh, so if drone mapping is something you're into, and if you're interested in LiDAR systems, I would definitely recommend watching this. I think it's fascinating because LiDAR has also been used in different parts of the world with drones, but also with airplanes to basically map out old ancient uh, societies and cities where the ruins are covered in a thick Amazon forest, for instance. And you wouldn't be able to distinguish the patterns in the landscape, but with LiDAR, you see right through those trees and right through all the vegetation. I think that's fascinating. So if you share that same interest, then yeah, go watch this video. And it's, it's a fun one for sure. Yes, I am looking forward to it for sure. Well, Haya, I just want to say thank you again for another news show. Quite an exciting day. But we can't leave without one more piece of news, which I wrote myself. But Haya, I can't wait to hear your version of how DroneU cracked the drone delivery code. So drone delivery is possible under Part 107, but you really have to dig into air carrier law, uh, transport law. I mean, I mean, this is a conundrum of research, but... It's funny, this has caused quite the stir, at least on the back end, and I can't even talk a lot about it, but Haya, when it comes to drone delivery under part 107, what did you learn? What are you seeing? I think it's, uh, it's a very interesting story, and it's kind of interesting that it only surfaces now, uh, whereas uh, companies have been working on delivery by drones for, for quite some time. Of course, we know Amazon is working on it, Wing Aviation is. Uh, UPS was the first one to actually be classified as an air carrier under a parks 135, which is way more complicated to meet those standards as a, a, a drone delivery company. But yeah, you can fly and deliver with drones under your part 107. There are a few um, caveats that you have to keep in mind. It's not unlimited or unrestricted in any way, but for certain use cases, it might be very, very beneficial. So just to explain a few of them, and you can perhaps chip in uh, at the end of this as well. So one requirement is that you, well, first of all, you need to have your part 107. So it starts right there. Secondly, you cannot fly across state borders. So I'm here in New York. If I wanted to deliver something by drone to Connecticut, that will be a no-go. It has to be within the state. It also uh, is restricted that you're not allowed to deliver directly to the public. So I couldn't, let's say if I'm a uh, brick and mortar retail store, I couldn't use a drone to deliver to my end customer. But if I am a golf course and let's say you have your main clubhouse with a kitchen set up and then you have a snack uh, place somewhere else on hole eight or nine, you can uh, use a drone to transport food and drinks from your main kitchen to that satellite location down the golf course to other people from your organization who then take that from the drone and hand it out to the people playing golf. That you would be able to do. Of course, you cannot fly over people. You cannot fly beyond visual line of sight and you cannot carry hazardous uh, materials either. So there are some restrictions, but within certain use cases, this might be super, super interesting and very beneficial. And it makes you wonder why this news only comes out now, because uh, we know that a lot of companies have been breaking their, their brains over how they can implement uh, delivery by drone. So I thought it was very interesting that it uh, has taken this long for, for this news to come out. Maybe it goes to show then that these companies that are supposed to be professionals in the industry, uh, maybe, well, they don't have the resourcefulness uh, that one may assume. But it also makes me ask the question, a legitimate question, uh, that I've had myself after writing this article and, and cracking the code, thanks to help from Vic and uh, three other people. But it makes me ask this question, do you think that this article, this formula, opens the door for other businesses to enact drone delivery uh, to augment their existing companies. Because the golf course example, right, that's 
if you implement that, that's a freaking marketing uh, and PR message in itself. So does it save golf courses? Does it save all these other businesses millions of dollars in lobbying money to figure out how to operate drone delivery? Potentially, I think I think uh, a lot of people have to kind of figure out how they can use this and how they can stay within the restrictions, but benefit from from having drones deliver certain products. I mean, you can with with the part uh, 135, you have a lot more uh, flexibility and a lot more room to use drone delivery in different ways. This is far more restricted, but I'm sure that if you if you sit down and think about where this might be useful, there's probably uh, a lot more examples you can come up with than just uh, the golf course. So yeah, I think it's very valuable for people to know. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's exciting. I really, I hope a lot of people use this to implement some cool drone delivery systems because in the wake of social distancing, this could be a legitimate solution to a lot of social distancing problems. So, in fact, I will be on uh, national radio on Tuesday night to talk about it. Ah, nice. Yeah, so thanks, NBC. <laughs> so, anyway, uh, excited about that, as always. Like I said, there's a lot going on behind the scenes with this. And this makes my heart so warm because I know I, uh, I hold people accountable and I am honest. But that's because I truly want the best for people in the long run. And, and this article has given a lot of companies uh, wings to fly on. Literally. And it's so heartwarming to see companies like, oh, wow, now we can do this, 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 this. And it's empowering drone pilots and it's empowering companies and it's empowering people. And there's no greater feeling than to help other people help themselves. There you go. Totally agree with you. On that bombshell, uh, (laughs) that's going to do it for us today, Haya. And uh, I appreciate having you here, sir, because I know your heart is in the right place as well. Awesome. Paul, as always, pleasure being on the show. And uh, thank you so much. Looking forward to, forward to the next one next week, man. I look forward to it as well. Hopefully I get my hands on that 300 between now and then. Anyway, hi, that's going to do it for us today. It's going to do it, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. Please don't forget to subscribe. Leave us a review. And if Drone You has helped you at all, leave us a review. Become a member. Why? Well, because when we drop these new training messages, PR bombs later this, uh, later this year, you're going to be really sad if you didn't hear about it first. That's all I'm going to say. It's time we change the industry. It's taken me three years to develop this Haya, and we are ready to do it. Anyway, thank you again. Thank you to everyone out there. Thank you for your support. Thank you for supporting DroneU as we help others. That's going to do it for us today. My name is Paul. He's the Flying Dutchman. This is Ask DroneU. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity, for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.